the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We've been working our way through our series called Worship, and today, as we begin our closing thoughts on this series, we take a look at the heart of it all, the passion to worship. And at the end of the day, that's where it really lies. We'll be in Psalm 27. Join us for Abounding Grace next. The Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, online at reformedheritage.org. Today, we begin, as I mentioned a moment ago, closing out our series on worship, and we're looking at the passion. Now, we can give you the priorities and all the other reasons to worship, but at the end of the day, there must be a, a passion born out of a changed heart. Psalm 27, verses 4 through 6 is where we're at. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's edition of Abounding Grace. First of all, we studied the purity of worship, then the purpose of worship, the prerequisite to worship, the propriety of worship, and today we study the passion to worship. If you have learned anything else over the past five weeks, I have prayed that you have grasped that worshiping God is the ultimate priority of all creation. There is nothing more important in our lives than worshiping God. We worship God because He is God, and we are to worship God because He deserves to be worshiped and because He demands to be worshiped. We have seen that our worship is unacceptable to God unless our hearts are pure and our hands are clean. And that's one of the reasons we are to prepare to come here to worship, for that is a prerequisite to our worship. Worship is so important that we must take great preparation before we come here. Last week... God's majesty showed us that we are to conduct ourselves reverently in his house, and that is the propriety of worship. And today we come and conclude with, though we could never exhaust the topic, and that is the passion to worship. Simply put, the passion to worship is an all-consuming desire. Now, because of our day and age, the word passion does have some negative connotations. But historically, it was appropriate to be passionate about different things. It can be said that people are passionate about the Giants or the 49ers, baseball and football. There are those who are passionate about music or reading or patriotism. But everyone is usually passionate about something. But the passion for worship 
is to be an all-consuming passion. Notice what King David says in today's passage, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. Did any of you play the game, the dream game called Aladdin and his lamp? You would pretend with your friends that you found this magic lamp of Aladdin. And the genie would come out from the lamp and he would offer you one wish. Well, I did. But I suppose actually that game today is more called, more like the mega lottery. But did you ever play that game? Well, as I got older, I learned that all I had to do was wish for more wishes, you know, inexhaustible wishes. And there was nothing, of course, greedy about me in those days. Well, here David says, one thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek. Now think about it. If you had one thing that you could ask God for and he promised that he would grant it to you, what would you ask for? Some would ask for health, for self, or a relative. Some would ask for long life, some for riches, others power or prestige, possibly a better job, maybe even retirement, a bigger house, world peace. But look what David asked for. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let me put that in the vernacular. Lord, there is really only one thing I want out of life. If it's okay with you, I would just like to bring my cot to the church and spend the rest of my days there beholding your beauty and meditating on your greatness. That's all I want until I die. Does that reflect your heart? Is that the one thing you would ask for? Or would you rather be a political giant? Or a well-known, powerful CEO? Or a great musician or composer? Or whatever it is that is your passion? Well, here is the passion of David. I just want to be in your church, Lord. In the presence of Christ, gazing on his beauty and meditating on his majesty. The word beauty is an interesting word here. It can also be translated delightfulness, the delightfulness of the Lord. I want to gaze on the delightfulness of the Lord. How many of you really think of God as being delightful? How many of you leave church and say, I was in the presence of God and his people, and it was delightful? Or was it a chore to sit there and endure for an hour and a half? Because you see, most of us don't have the, that kind of passion to worship God. In fact, I don't know about you, but I have never heard a sermon or a series of sermons on what worship really is, and how concerned God is about worship himself, let alone that it is the most important thing 
that we can do with our lives. God is to be our delight. And we know from other passages and psalms that we are his delight. In Psalm 4, David talks about worship in these terms. He says, I am more giddy, of course that's my own paraphrasing there, about worship than a man who was drunk on new wine. Think about that. I have no idea if any of you have the past that I have had, but I know full well what it is like to be drunk. When I was drunk, I became gregarious and funny, where I was normally fairly shy. I don't like to dance, as most of you already know, but when I was drunk, you would actually think it was my favorite pastime. I would let down all my inhibitions. I got giddy and silly and footloose and fancy-free like most other drunks. Well, David says, that's the way I am when I go to worship. He was basically saying, when I go to worship, I go to celebrate God and his love. Certainly in terms of reverence, we are to be somber before our Lord. But spiritually, brothers and sisters, we are to celebrate the love of God. We should not be concerned with whether we are good singers or not. We need to cut loose, raising our voices in celebration. We mustn't be inhibited in our prayers, worrying about pleasing others with what we say to the Lord. And our prayers most certainly must be filled with praise. We are much too reserved as Calvinists in our worship. A few unsolicited amens from time beloved is not a bad thing. God's chosen are not to be his frozen. We have so much to celebrate. Worship is a time to be giddy without sacrificing reverence and order. With this idea of passion and worship, David says in Psalm 122.1, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go unto the house of the Lord. And the word there that we translate glad literally means my whole being celebrates, jumps for joy at the idea of going to the house of God. David is saying when they said it was time to go to church, my whole being celebrated. That is a passion to worship, beloved. In Psalm 26, 8, David says this, O Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house. And then I want you to notice what he calls the house of God. The place where thine honor or glory dwells. Or literally, the tabernacle of thy glory. This is such a majestic idea of what it means to be in God's house. This is the place where his glory dwells. And please don't misunderstand me to, to think that this is the building where God lives. I, of course, am not saying that. God is omnipresent. But in some way, as we saw last week, God says, I will set my heart there forever. 
and my eyes will be continually upon the place that you worship. In Psalm 42, 1 and 2, David says, As the heart or deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Literally, when do I get to see the face of God? Now this idea of panting is such that it is an emotional longing. But the word that is used is used for an audible sound that you would hear a deer make when he has been in a long, drawn-out drought. It is the panting of a deer who has to be refreshed by water. And David says, as the deer pants for water, that's how my soul pants for God and longs to be in his presence. Well, you might say, yeah, but I can do that anywhere. But David says, I thirst for the living God when I shall come to appear before him. He had a passion to worship God. It is an emotional thing, yes. But it is so emotional that when is it expressed on the outside, you see a person who can't wait to see the face of God in worship. And in Psalm 63, 1, David says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He says it is more than just a soul thirst. He says it's a physical thing. My flesh yearns for God every bit as much as my soul does. It's not only a longing of the soul, brothers and sisters, but it affects a man physically. And at verse 2 it says, To see the power and thy glory, so as I have seen, where? In the sanctuary. When we come here to worship, we should come to see God's power and glory as we reflect on the person of Jesus Christ. As we talk about his great salvation, as we long to be with him in eternal worship, we are to see the power and glory of God in all of this. And we should so long to worship him for his greatness that it even affects us physically as well as spiritually. One commentator says, this is an ardent longing that consumes the very last energies of a man. The Puritan preacher David Clarkson said, Come with hearts hungering after the enjoyment of Christ and his ordinances. Our souls should stretch themselves wide open in earnest longings after God. This is the way to be filled with the richest blessings of spiritual experience." End quote. And beloved, all of that is to be had right here in the sanctuary, in the place where God's glory dwells. There are, I believe, four elements that make up this passion to worship. The first is the love for the day of worship. 
Hear the words of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 8, verse 13. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight. We'll stop right there for just a second. Turn your foot from doing your pleasure and call the Sabbath a delight. He is saying in no small way that you can't call the Sabbath a delight if you are doing your own pleasure. We must remember this is the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. The fact that you do not work for a living on Sunday does not mean you are observing the Sabbath. If you are doing your own pleasure, you cannot be calling the Sabbath a delight. And then he gets more specific. It says, call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor him. How are we to honor the Sabbath? Well, he gives us three ways there. Not doing thine own ways. Doing that which you would normally do, you are to desist from. Secondly, nor finding thine own pleasure. It doesn't have to be sensual pleasure. It is that which pleases you opposed to that which God says pleases him. Thirdly, nor speaking thine own words. You say, well, whose words can I speak? What do you mean by that? I mean talking about things that have to do with you rather than talking about things that have to do with the Lord. It's actually the tradition of Presbyterians, especially Calvinists like most of us, to go home and worship and have the Father ask questions about the sermon of various family members so that the main points of the sermon were taught to the children by their father. Now, if you want a children's sermon, that's where the children's sermon should be. It is the father's responsibility to train their children, not I, your pastor, and not your Sunday school teachers. You are to catechize, you are to teach your children songs and hymns unto the Lord, and you are to teach them to read the Scripture and memorize Scripture. The Sabbath is to be a day of rest and worship. Someday, when RHC has its own building, we will have an evening worship service as well, because it fulfills God's command to us to use the day for worship and to make the day a delight doing God's will, not our own. Notice what happens if we desist from our own ways, from seeking our own pleasure and speaking our own words. Listen to what the Lord's promise is. Thou sh then thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord, and it will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, you see, it is not until we have a healthy view of the Sabbath that we shall delight in the Lord. One follows the other. It is quid pro quo. Without this, not that. 
One of the reasons we have no sense of the delightfulness of the Lord as David did is because we have no sense of the delightfulness of the Lord's day. Many of us have that attitude of the people spoken of in Amos 8.5 who said, When will the Sabbath be over? Some of us don't see this day as a day of rest and worship. We see worship as being an interruption to our weekend, a duty for an ab and for an hour, but an interruption. The Puritan George Swinnick wrote this about the Sabbath back in the 1600s. As the ordinances are heaven in a glass, ordinances being, of course, the reading of the word, the singing of the psalms, the collecting of the offering, prayers, the sermon, etc., as the ordinances are heavy, heaven in a glass, so the Lord's day is a map of heaven. This is to be valued at a high rate because therein we enjoy all the means of communion with God in the highest degree and measure without interruption. The Hebrew called the weekdays profane days, but they called the Sabbath a holy, pious day. The Greeks called them working days, but this is the day of sweet rest. Others' days are called common and ordinary handmaids, but this is fitly called by the Jews the queen of days. Isn't that a wonderful name for the Sabbath, the queen of days? What the phoenix is to the birds, the lion to the beast, fire to the elements, that is the Lord's day among days. Upon this day, Christ carries the soul into the wine cellar, and his banner over it reads, Love. Upon other days, he feeds his members. On this day, he feasts them. On this day, he brings forth his living waters, his finest wine. On this day he gives the sweetest bread, the finest flour, the true meat, his own body. On this day he met the two disciples and made their hearts warm, even burn within them by the fire of his words. On this day the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. On this day the Lord brought forth the light of his new heavens and new earth by his resurrection. On this day St. John had his glorious revelation. On this day the Lord burst asunder the bands of death. He broke in pieces the gates of hell. He left captivity captive. He trampled upon principalities and powers and trampled over the grave sin, the curse of the law and Satan. On this day, he still rides triumphantly in the chariot of his ordinances, conquering and subduing sinners to himself. Oh, blessed day! How many thousands of souls have known thee on the day of their new birth? Blessed art thou among days. From henceforth all generations shall call thee blessed. Blessed be the Father who made thee, the Son who bought thee, the Spirit who sanctifies thee, and blessed are all who prize and improve thee. Oh, dear listener, you do not have a drop of true holiness. If you do not bless God at the coming in and going out of this blessed holy day, 
That, brothers and sisters, is a passion for worship. So the first element, I believe, is a love for the day of worship. The second, as we have seen a little bit previously in another sermon, is a love for the place of worship. In Leviticus 19.30, we saw last week that God commanded, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. We are called to love the place of worship. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, the minister of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us. A quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for post mailbox, number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5. And any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program, as this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408-866-5607. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.